Okay, now I'm recording. All right. Uh, so we're going to start with the one, two, three. All right. I think we're supposed to clap at the same time. But that was so bad. It, it was the worst, but we'll, we'll figure it out in post. Hey, Frank. Hey, Angelo. How's it going? It's going well. How about you? I'm doing great. All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about you. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how you work, <laughs> what you like to do. Uh, we're going to mute that in post. <laughs> As and, I choke on uh, my coffee. Yeah. And, and uh, dig into a little bit about what you find makes you productive, what you find uh, you struggle with, you know, um, things like that. Uh, so let's just jump right in. You know, why don't you tell me a little bit about your, you know, like your workspace? Let's do it. Um, so I have a few workspaces in my life, but the one that I think I have like the most control over is, uh, my desk at WeWork. So for those of you who don't know WeWork, WeWork is a co-working space. They have co-working spaces pretty much everywhere. Um, and I have an office, um, and the desk is not that big. I would say three feet by five feet. Like, it's not, it's not a huge desk. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, you know, you got you to gotta make it work. And so what do, you, what do you have on your desk is what I'm curious about. See, now, is it like super minimalist where it's just like <laughs> a white, clean, pristine surface with, you know, everything at, at right angles? Because that's how I picture you. Mm. Definitely, like, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Uh, so, like, my kind of philosophy is really to have as few things on my desk as possible because, you know, I like to write and I like to scribble notes and... And this is, like, a pretty small space as well. So I try and get as many things off of there as possible. Um... That means that I use a, like, for example, I use an Amazon Basics uh, dual monitor arm. Uh, right. Yeah, so that holds up. I have, like, an LG 5K display and a tray from my laptop. Fancy. I know, right? <laughs> but really, like, it's really nice because it actually, like, you know, it elevates those things off of the desk. You can place them how you want, so it's ergonomic and also uh it just helps create more room you know so i really like that um kind of in that same vein i have uh i use an ErgoDox easy keyboard so for those of you who've never this keyboard yeah I don't, I don't know what the hell this is you can you can look it up but for anyone who's never seen like an ErgoDox before uh it's actually a split keyboard so the keyboard is like physically split in two. You have like a left side and a right side. And it's meant to be all ergonomic. You can like tilt it at different angles and like for what feels nice for you. But uh, what's great about this keyboard and one of the reasons why I really like it is that you end up with this kind of like empty space right in the middle. So that's usually where I can like set down like a notepad. Um, huh. or my iPad, if I'm taking notes on my iPad and, uh, just like put that right there. So that's really nice. This thing looks like something out of Star Trek, 
I can describe it a little bit, it's like if you took your keyboard and cut it in half, and then you kind of shaped it like these cybernetic butterfly wings and put little weird feet on it, then you would probably have what looks like this keyboard. Is it like wireless or is it wired? Uh, how does this work? So it's wired, um, which is very unfortunate because if it were wireless, then I'd be in heaven. But yeah, it, right. You could have one on one side of the room, one on the other side of the room. <laughs> but yeah, so it's wired. Um, each of the halves are wired together. And then there's like a USB cable from one of the halves to the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that really unfortunate because... I'm not a fan of wires. I like to live a wireless life. But yeah. uh but I think for like for the ergonomics um and like just the features that it has, the thing is programmable, so uh it's nice in that way too. It can help with things like uh if you like to use like hyper keys, like hyper mm-hmm. key shortcuts or that kind of stuff. It's really like it's really nice for that. Um, it's also a mechanical keyboard. For those of you who are interested, it has Cherry MX Blue switches in order to maximize the amount of noise that it makes. Right, right. How to annoy your office mates. Exactly. Easy step. But, uh, but that's the type of noise that I really like, and I find it really calms me down. <laughs> right, right. So enough about gushing over keyboard. Well, keyboards are important. I mean, you mentioned in, I think it was episode one, that uh, if you have to take your hands off the keyboard, that's friction, right? Yeah. So if you're spending all of your time on your keyboard, make it a good one. Yeah, for Seems sure. reasonable, like, you know? I mean, for a lot of us, it's like the primary input tool that we use, right? So sure. I think it's worth taking the time to find something that works well for you and... To set it up in a way that, you know, you, you can be the best you can be. Yeah. And so that's connected to what? That's connected to um, a relatively new 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro. So I, I actually upgraded my MacBook Pro a few months ago. Um, and I really like the 13-inch. I find it's the absolute perfect size. Um, I had a 15 inch before it was a little too big. It was a little too heavy. The 13 inch, I feel like, you know, it's easy to carry around. It's easy to work with in your lap Mm -hmm. if you're like sitting on the couch or whatever. Um, and now, now that they're quad core, they're powerful enough to like, you know, crunch through whatever programming task I throw at it. Right. Now, here's the question on everyone's mind because... You know, I'm still living in 2016 here. The touch bar. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, the touch wavy bar. Wavy hand side to side, <laughs> as in like, who cares? So, I don't think you'll be surprised to know that I use the touch bar sparingly. Right. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I like Touch ID. I find, t- I find having Touch ID on the Mac to be like legitimately very, very useful. Uh, sure. I'm not a fan of losing the escape key. I actually, um, I actually remap. You can do this in Mac OS where uh, you can remap caps lock 
to a different key and I actually remapped it to escape. Wow. Yeah, I guess that's that's one of the keys that I just don't use very often. So that makes sense. There you go. Uh it makes <laughs> it makes it so whenever you're on someone else's computer, it's extremely confusing. <laughs> and suddenly like you just start typing very loudly. Yeah, right. But uh but yeah. So that I find that really unfortunate. I'm happy to see I think like in the newer models of the MacBook Air, they they keep the function key row. Yeah. But they but they do have the touch ID sensor. Yeah, that's I think a great layout. Yeah. I I would I would pay more for that option. <laughs> yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. And like okay, the cursor keys are like unfortunately laid out. Uh but you know whatever hmm. uh that's the other kind of what the hell were you thinking apple kind of thing that i i i go with yeah i don't know i feel like i got like i got used to those fairly quickly yeah. but the but like replacing escape with caps lock was really like overriding years and years and years of muscle memory like it was tough yeah no kidding um and what else aside from that i use a magic mouse when i do use a mouse uh, okay and it's not perfect uh, especially at most of the time when i'm using a mouse i'm playing world of warcraft and these mo- these mice are <laughs> awful for gaming um but it's what i have and i have one everywhere so right that's what that's what i use for now um on my mac I like to keep things like tidy. And I think I, I push this maybe to, you know, a higher standard than most people. Like I will regularly, for example, empty out my downloads folder and I will regularly terrible about that. <laughs> and like, I'll, I'll regularly empty out uh, my desktop just because I mean, a, I don't want to work like, I don't want to work in clutter. Um, I feel like having, you know, like a tidy computer is a lot, is a lot like having a tidy room, you know, it's just a nicer space to live in. And, uh, I spend a lot of time living in my computer, so, you know, I want things to be nice. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, what I, uh, what I'm curious about here is, okay, you, you clean out your desktop and downloads folder, which I should do as well. My desktop is, there's nothing on it, but downloads are, Wow. Uh, do you do more of the storing files on your drive or in the cloud uh so i store most things locally Mm -hmm. and uh i have time machine backups to a uh to a nas that i have here so i have like a network attached storage server um and time machine takes care of doing backups to it nice things that things that i do need like accessible from everywhere uh i'll put them in like usually i just put those in dropbox uh but now i've been i've been looking into maybe like consolidating my use of like icloud because i have like a ton of icloud storage Mm -hmm. and uh i have dropbox that i use sometimes and i'm trying to think like oh maybe it'd be nice to kind of merge these things together and kind of like all this in like the overall view of, you know, just being more, I don't know how to say, like minimalistic in like the tools that I use. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, having like well-defined 
use cases for everything and you know using as few things as possible that's kind of how i like to set up my my online or like my computer world yeah right right uh i think that makes sense so we can dig into a little bit of like of that later but i am curious about um so you talked about your electronic files mm-hmm. what about paper oh man is that a thing for you so paper filing has been a thing for me for for a little while now um started doing doing gtd like in 2010 2012 around that and i've been having and they've been like carrying around like a paper filing system ever since um once a year i would do a purge and like you know remove the things that were no longer relevant uh but now i'm coming to a point where like i'm not sure if i want to keep doing this if i want to maybe you know move to a paperless system i'm not sure what's going to be less trouble like is printing everything that's not paper or scanning everything that is paper you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence about it. I'm I'm not sure where I'm going to land yet. Uh, this will probably be answered uh, this year. In Q- I would say I would say this is a Q2 decision this year. Right. <laughs> Maybe we can get back to this in the future and do an episode on on filing. I I love filing. It's really <laughs> that's my jam. It's not my jam. Uh, but it is something that like you struggle with as well. It's really, it's like doing the dishes. Yeah, you know? like th- there's always more paper to deal with. So I I go through the same thing, and now I, you know, I have like um an all-in-one printer that has like a feeder for scanning things. Mm-hmm. So it could be very easy to just scan everything and send it. I don't know, to, to some cloud-based service and, and then wear out my shredder. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what, I don't know. I think that, you know, one of the things that I think, uh, makes a big difference is, and I think this applies to a lot of things is just rather than trying to figure out how to deal with all of this stuff in your life, minimize your consumption of these things, right? You know, because mm-hmm. that'll make things more sustainable. It'll make your your processes more sustainable. So if you get your, you know, your bank statements online, that's something you don't have to think about yeah. in terms of like dealing with filing. Uh, the more things that you can kind of offload from having to deal with at all, having to touch, the better mm. yeah uh, for sure yeah and, but yeah go ahead and but but to get back to your point of like like of like no one likes filing um i agree but i feel like but you're right you know like filing is like doing the dishes like if you don't do it you're going to end up with paper everywhere and when something important comes up and you need to find something you won't be able to find it you know yeah, that I find has been working really well for me these past few years where like, oh, I need a document. It's it's, you know, in this drawer and in like one of four possible files, for example. Exactly. Yeah. And that has no, been I, I... that's been great. That's been. A... 
a system that helps you know reduce stress i find definitely um and and that's really the 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 pro with paper is that uh, you don't have internet access doesn't matter battery's dead doesn't matter you know Hmm. uh so I just think that we, you know, uh, I used to be an accountant. So keeping records for seven years was a thing I really had to think about because mm. you end up with a lot of paperwork. Um, but nowadays, I, I think we tend to, I don't know if this is like an engineer thing necessarily. A lot of people say that it is, but we tend to just collect a lot of data and just keep it in case we need it. Mm. Right. So like that extends to our paperwork where, you know, you're getting like stuff from the government and stuff from the bank and stuff from, you know, whatever other vendor or partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, should I keep this? Should I just get rid of it? What's the point? You know, so I have thoughts on that, but we can get into that another time. Um, It's all about your process. And speaking of process. Yes. Tell me about your process, Frank. Tell me about your workflows. We talked about your workspace. Let's work, move on to your, your workflows. Yeah. So um, I've spoken about this in the past, but a lot of the, I guess, a lot of the workflows or like, I guess the weekly rituals or whatever that I go through um, is all mostly based on GTD. Uh, and that's been incredibly helpful over the past few years. Uh, like not only do I, not only do I use this in my, work life but also my personal life as well so mm-hmm. for example Shelly and I are planning a trip to Quebec City next month well that's a project are you would you say that you're like a strict GTD type person or do you have you taken liberties with the system and for those who don't know GTD is referring to David Allen's book getting things done uh kind of held up as a bit of a a manual for modern productivity um we'll put a link in the show notes yeah so it's a great book he has very defined rule (laughs) rules about kind of what you're supposed to do so uh, would you say that you stick with them or yeah actually i would say that i stick fairly close to them i find that like you know most tools out there right now don't help you in in sticking close to the rules um but omnifocus does which is why I'm a massive fan of OmniFocus. I feel like my life would fall apart if I didn't have it. Um, But yeah, so um, I would say that, uh, like, I don't know. I would say that I'm so deep into it that, say, for example, at work where, you know, I do software development, we have stories in Jira. uh, I often end up making a project for each story that I'm working on simply to be able to, you know, follow through those tasks and have them in my system instead of in someone else's system. So that sounds a lot like duplication of effort to me. Yeah, I think in a way it is. Uh, like, it, it's certainly not, it's not a fun experience to, t- <laughs> to, you know, take the thing out of Jira and put it in your system. But however, what I think it does help with is capturing like tasks that don't fit into Jira, you know, because like software development, yes. uh, I guess it depends on the company, but at least where, where I'm working right now, soft, like 
software development is not like a one person sit down and bang on your computer type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It always involves, you know, like needing to follow up with people, uh, hopping on phone calls, like setting up meetings. Maybe these things, like maybe these people are in different countries and different time zones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they're waiting on documentation. Like there's a lot of things that can go awry when you're trying to complete something. And I find having, having a space where those things are defined, you know, like, oh, for task, you know, for story A, I'm actually waiting on this. And for story B, I'm waiting on this. Uh, so I'm going to work on story C and not even think about the first two. Right. And then if, and then what's nice too is that if my, you know, my scrum master, for example, comes to me and asks me like, oh, you know, what's the status on this? It becomes really easy to, you know, give them a status of like, hey, I'm waiting on this person for X. I'm waiting on this person for Y. Yeah, yeah, I kind of do the same thing. We uh, we use a variety of tools, and um, it's also tracked in OmniFocus. So it's the same kind of duplication of efforts, in a sense. But I think that having sort of your one-stop trusted system for keeping everything that you need to stay on top of makes it worth the effort you know Mm -hmm. yeah and it's nice too like using custom perspectives and omnifocus um is incredibly powerful especially in these types of situations like you can have for example a perspective for work that shows you only you know work projects plus uh like phone calls that you need to make during the day that aren't necessarily work phone calls, but you'd want to see them in like during those times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I find like leveraging custom perspectives and OmniFocus kind of like takes all of this and ties it together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so OmniFocus is obviously a big part of your your workflows. What, what else do you use? Um, so generally, what what I try to do and kind of the mindset I try to get myself in when I'm sitting down to do work is, you know, like what, what is the task that I'm working on really? Like, is it a development task? Is it like a writing task? Is it administrative work? Because each of these tasks, I guess, requires different tools. Mm -hmm. And I do my best to make sure only the relevant things are open at that time like on my computer on my desktop so for example if i'm doing development you know i'll have like xcode open like i might have dash open i'll have a terminal um but then if i'm writing for example uh i won't have any of that open right i'll i'll be more for example on like ulysses and trello Mm -hmm. and that i find like it, it helps a lot to at least for myself to keep focus yeah sure um so i use these paired with an app called uh um so it's called cold turkey have you ever heard of this okay no i haven't um it's essentially like a website blocker app um so i use that to block reddit (laughs) whenever i'm working because reddit has a has a funny way of you know just rolling off the fingers 
um, whenever I open like an Alfred window or something. Right, right. So uh, I use that to keep me away from like the distracting things, particularly Reddit. And uh, but what's nice too is that it can also block applications. So like you can mm-hmm. use it to block like Tweetbot, for example, which is very, which is also very helpful for me. Um, but yeah, like just in general, like I try to keep the things that I actually need around and kind of push away the things that I don't need. Um, right. You know, just all this in, in the spirit of keeping things nice and clean and conducive to work. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, and would you say that you tend to, you know, uh, when you're doing development work, you do that in like blocks of time, writing in blocks of time, or do you tend to jump between one and the other fairly easily? Oh, that's a good question. In the morning, I do like a quick daily review of my tasks and my schedule. Uh, you know, kind of all of that. Mm-hmm. And I try to see like where I can fit things. So right. if, for example, I have a day full of meetings, I'm not going to take on like a super complicated um, development task. Uh, right. However, if my time is broken up like that, I will uh, like I will schedule work for like doing like bug fixes, for example, which I can probably get done a lot quicker. So I kind of try and give myself like a an overview, like, you know, like an outline and try and plan things out. Um, and things don't always go according to plan. But uh, at least it gives me like, you know, a high level idea of what my day is going to be like and where I can put things. Right. And then there's always the administrivia kind of stuff which is i mean it's important you got to get it done Mm. right um any any favorites or any like standout things you want to talk about for those tasks uh yeah i find one of the things that helps for me uh in getting those things done is keeping inbox zero so i know this is like i don't know i was i was actually reading an article about email this morning and they were saying that like the average number of unread emails in people's inbox is hovering somewhere around 200 and (laughs) and i found that kind of mortifying uh let's see i'm curious now so across um four email accounts i have a total of 14 messages in my inbox nice it's a good spot to be I'm, I think I'm around that as well. I have like about seven or eight email threads. Um, so yeah, being at like right now, I feel like I have a lot of email in my inbox right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I have a lot of things here that just haven't been dealt with yet. And that kind of, you know, it's, it's I use that kind of as a sign for myself to say like, you know, process these. And once they're in OmniFocus and once they're in the system, like I know it'll get done at the right time. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like we often get a lot of emotions about email and the tasks or like the unknowns that are kind of like wrapped up in them. But if you have a system to put those tasks into, getting mm-hmm. through yeah. email becomes becomes a lot simpler, you know, like you can kind of like detach yourself from from the work that you're going to have to do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, absolutely. 
trying to get that away. Yeah, it, it if you the danger with thinking about your inbox as a place where your task management lives is that literally anyone on the planet with your email address can then assign tasks to you. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> That's really bad, you know? So, uh when I process my inbox, normally it takes me about five minutes, you know, to mm -hmm. just, and, and most of it is, you know, uh, sort of transactional email where, I, okay, do I need to take an action on this, create a task in OmniFocus and, and then archive it? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, does it need a reply? In which case, I almost never reply to email while I'm processing email. I don't know if you have a particular process that works well for you, but I tend to save all of that in a sort of a, like a block of time where I'm feeling inspired to write or like that I've trained myself. Like this is when I do some writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel mostly the same way. Um, I will, however, like write back to people if it takes less than five minutes. You know, try okay. to just get that done because I feel it's going to take me longer to track it and then come back to it and get, you know get back in the mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, I, I guess it also depends like what kind of email you tend to send out. Yeah. Um, but definitely, definitely. I like processing email and answering email are generally two completely different tasks. Yeah. And then, um, I guess they're kind of like the, the tools that sort of glue all of that together you know yeah like what you do if in developing what you do in you know writing was another task mm -hmm. uh, uh you know tell me about the glue <laughs> the glue um, what holds it all together for you yeah so like uh, you know like we mentioned earlier i like to keep my hands on the keyboard mm -hmm. as much as possible i feel like that helps me you know get towards what i'm thinking a lot more quickly um and to that effect like Alfred, which we talked about last week in great detail. Uh, Alfred is, I yeah, feel like, is one of the best tools for this in gluing like all of the different applications on your system together. Um, another tool that I like to use uh, is called Cheat Sheet, and it's for showing the uh, showing keyboard shortcuts for applications. Uh, so it's a small tool. You, uh, mm -hmm. If you have focus on an application and you hold command, it kind of like whoop, shows you like this, well, essentially a cheat sheet of the different shortcuts oh, neat. Uh, that you can use. Cheat sheet app. Yeah, I've got it in front of me right now. Yeah, it's really nice. It works, it works very well. Uh, it's very well designed as so and it's free so i feel like you know having alfred plus that really helps you um stay on your keyboard and learn how to stay on your keyboard while you're at it you know right um and then when it comes to like the software development um i really like using vim whenever i can uh using vim as a text editor that's so strange. Is so nice. It is so nice. Um, and do you just use that in the terminal or? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
mostly if I'm working on like uh, CI scripts, for example, uh, whenever I work sure. on my whenever I work on my website as well, all that is done in Vim. Um, and there's a plugin for Xcode called Xvim Two. Okay, <laughs> it's a giant hack, but essentially it adds Vim key bindings to Xcode. And uh, it's really, it's so nice. My life before XVim and my life after XVim have been completely different. So what, what's the big selling point for you with using Vim and using Vim key, key bindings in Xcode? Well, the thing is that when you're editing code, um, I find what's more important is to be able to like, you know, gather information quickly about like, what you're looking at, uh, being able to move, being able to edit quickly mm-hmm. that i find is where the not only like the time savings but also like if you make that efficient your job will be easier so like with that like since vim is a modal editor and you can like move around with your keyboard right um you can easily you know change uh like what's inside of i don't know brackets or parentheses or whatever it it just makes it, it just makes it so much nicer <laughs> instead of like you know reaching all the way across the desk to grab your mouse and then you know dragging your your big arm over the surface over the perhaps messy surface of your desk and you feel like all of the little crumbs underneath the mouse as you drag it over and then you you know you push down on your big index finger to start highlighting text and then you have to drag your big arm again like that is the most dramatic reading of point and click <laughs> that i've so, ever heard it's so inefficient i i'm not a fan i think it's really cool though that you you know you 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 dial in the tools so much towards this ethos of yours of like, don't let your hands leave the keyboard. Uh, that's really, uh, it's fascinating. Um, and I, I, I applaud your efforts. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, like Vim is, it has a bit of like a shallow learning curve. Shallow? So, okay. So like, isn't the saying steep learning curve? So here's the thing about learning curves. If you plot, um, how much you learn about a tool over time, a steep learning curve would be something that's easy to learn. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And this is, this is funny. I actually learned this like six months ago, maybe, that in academia, the actual, like, what we colloquially call a steep learning curve is actually called a shallow learning curve. So I'll be, I'll be pedantic on this point and call it a shallow learning curve. Hmm. I'm going to drop a Wikipedia article on what exactly the learning curve is into the, the show notes, just because nice. it's good to get off topic a little bit. <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, like it can be difficult to learn Vim, but it's mm-hmm. one of those things that really keeps on giving. And if you're, if you're a software developer, you're most likely a lifelong learner. And it's the type of tool that you can always, you know, push a little further and get a little deeper into 
and yeah. quite frankly it's very rewarding it's a lot of fun to use and learn and to get to the point where you're moving around and feeling like a freaking code wizard you know sure yeah it's a lot of fun so yeah i mean there's so there's a lot of overlap right between what i use between work and in my personal life and in my side projects mm-hmm. um but that's mostly I guess by design. Yeah, I, I I've always tried to minimize that overlap as well. Though sometimes I wonder whether uh, it would. At my last job, uh, I I had like completely separate systems between work and the rest of my life, hmm. and. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. How so? Well, I was never carrying work around with me. That okay. Way, yeah. Like on my phone. Uh, and, and when I'd be doing things for a side project or whatever, uh, I never, and this probably is because I just do not really bother much with custom perspectives and such in, in OmniFocus, but I, I never ever saw anything work related when i was doing anything else i then again that doesn't mean it wasn't like at the back of my mind anyhow you know Mm. i I, i'm i'm pretty strict about not doing work not letting you know work become like this endless meeting Right, that yeah. things like Slack and email and whatever enable. So, but that doesn't mean that I'm not like occasionally thinking about something that I'm working on for my my day job. You know, mm-hmm. fair enough. So yeah, I, I'm I, I don't have a, a a good answer for whether or not you should keep a single or multiple productivity systems but yeah right i feel like switching like no how can i say separating accounts is good like you wouldn't use like your work email for personal things right no of course not yeah you wouldn't want to mix those two and that i think is like a good separation um but then whether you have your work email for example, set up in your personal um, email client, that I think is an interesting, you know, that that can be like an interesting conversation to have. Like, do you want work email on your phone? I actually don't have work email on my phone. That's good. Um, That's good. Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) It's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the work that I do at Glitch uh, is pretty much contained to Chrome. So, you know, webmail, obviously all my editing is done in, uh, all my code mm-hmm. development is done in Glitch, you know. Uh, we, you know, we use various productivity tools or documentation tools or whatever. Those are all browser tabs, including Slack. I use Slack in the browser. I don't run the oh, desktop app. Oh, wow. Um, and no notifications on anything either. And, and that I, I like that kind of 
self-contained behavior. Now that's the only thing I use Chrome for. Hmm. Is just for work. Uh and I do not use Chrome for any personal, you know, or side project stuff or whatever. Oh, Firefox that's really Safari interesting. Otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Safari in a browser tab. Uh, not Safari, but Slack in a browser tab. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean sometimes I will launch the desktop for uh, the, the desktop app for access to other teams, you know, mm-hmm. that I communicate with. But uh, during the workday, for the most part, it's yeah, just a browser tab, pinned browser tab. I'm I'm big on pinning. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I feel like it's always just one of those things where you need to be self-aware and like self-conscious of you know how you feel about letting these things into your life um when you're not at work and then just making smart decisions based off of that you know yeah yeah definitely it's like yeah if you're if having work email on your phone is making you feel anxious during like your family dinner on saturday evening then maybe yeah you might want to get that off your phone if you can, you know, it's, yeah. For some folks, it's just not something that they can do, and uh, hopefully, there's there's some way you can, you know, work with that. I really like Gmail's snooze feature. Hmm. You know, where you can just punt things into to tomorrow or later in, today next or week. next week or whatever into next month. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and you can set up like custom, uh, you know delivery dates Mm -hmm. it's great anything else you want to um any other tools or or workflows or whatever that you want to talk to talk about uh i think that pretty much sums it up Mm -hmm. from like at a high level but uh i mean if i can i would like to i would like to uh quickly promote um my website actually so i yeah absolutely (laughs) like we've been like the whole point of what we're doing here is trying to make it uh, try try to like lessen the struggle of having some kind of side project and main you know day job and and balancing all mm-hmm. of these things with your personal life. So tell us about what you're working on these days, Frank. Yeah, so I have a website called iOScoachFrank.com, and we'll put that in the show notes. Hey, and I write about ios uh i read about ios development i guess maybe more at like an intermediate level like there's a lot of really great beginner content out there mm-hmm. on the web yeah um but i try i like to try and hit like that intermediate level um try and like you know get that intermediate level developer uh so we talk well i like to write about things like architecture best practices um you know how to how to deal with i guess common problems um that people have starting out essentially this is like the type of stuff that i would have liked to see when i was starting out um in ios development so yeah i have a lot of really interesting content planned um in the next few months and soon i'll have a lot more time to write it so (laughs) yay yeah there's uh i've i've done a couple of the uh, courses that you had, uh, well, the the massive view controllers vanquishing mm-hmm. course, uh, which was really really great. 
so I'm looking forward to the, the new content. Hey, cool. And I try to like, you know, not only the point is not to tell people how to do things, but the point is more about how should you th- like, how can you think about this problem, right? To come up with the best solution on your own. Yeah. So say, for example, with massive view controllers, how can we think about view controllers in a way that makes them not be 800 lines of code? <laughs> so yeah, and actually right now I'm wrapping up, um, I'm wrapping up a client contract and in a few weeks, this website is going to be pretty much my main focus uh, moving forward. So I'm really excited about that. We say right now as we're recording, but this episode is only going to be released probably a couple of months from now. So does that sound about right for time frame or will this yeah. be? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah. Cool. So if you're an iOS developer, if you, you know, want to learn some good, I guess, like solid architecture fundamentals, then check out the site. Join the newsletter. iOScoachfrank.com. Follow me on Twitter. Do it. All right. Thanks for sharing all this with us, Frank. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Hey. I guess next week is my turn, so I'll have to learn how to work. I'm looking forward to it, Angelo. This will be so fun. So am I. I'll speak to you then. See you soon. See ya.